0: Welcome to the Westminster Chapel podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 to 19 that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Good morning, lovely to see everyone here, good to be with you online as well. Uh, My name's Andy, as Howard said, and wasn't that absolutely fantastic news? It's just been exciting to see the numbers going up and up for our building project. They could even go up further, and we might get an even nicer coffee machine, which would be exciting. It's not that that's the only reason I've given to the building project, but it will be nice during the week to have especially nice coffee um, within reach. Right, today we are going to be doing what I'm thinking is called a spiritual MOT, or in Spain apparently it's called an ITV. Um, In other countries it's just the thing where you take your car into the garage to get it checked, to see why it seems a little bit sluggish and whether it's actually roadworthy. I don't have a car, I have a bicycle, and I have this experience, I had it this morning. Um, Now it might be because I haven't done any exercise recently, but the bike was feeling awfully sluggish and slow, and there was a funny rattling noise, um, and there's just a slight rubbing sound, and I don't know what's wrong with it, so I need to take it to a shop, for them to ask some basic questions to discern what's actually wrong and what's causing it to go so slowly. And now I'm drawing the analogy to myself. I can sometimes feel a bit sluggish and slow. There are some funny rattling noises that come out of me. There's this weird rubbing sensation that I just can't quite work out. Why do I feel lethargic? Why do I feel like I'm not completely fulfilled in this life? Um, And that's going to be our overriding question today. Why do I not quite feel as fulfilled as I could be? Why am I not where I could be in life? Essentially, why am I not enough like Jesus? I think that's the question we sometimes ask. It's definitely the question that other people are asking about you if you are a Christian. I've been watching quite a few conversations and debates online recently from people who seemingly in good faith, have uh, been involved in the church, have investigated Christianity, have perhaps even worked in a church or just looked in at the church in general. And they have expressed the fact that actually the reason that they have now detached themselves from churches and Christianity, the reason that they have stepped back, the reason that they are no longer looking into Christianity as they were, is because what they experienced wasn't enough like Jesus. The people they met weren't enough like Jesus. The church itself was good on paper when you read about it in the Bible, but in reality, it was lacking. And so they find themselves disillusioned, disenfranchised, disappointed by the whole thing, and they step away from Christianity. So I think it's a very important question for us to be thinking about for the outside, but also for ourselves, because I'm sure if you're like me, you have asked that question of yourself. Why am I not changing as much as I thought I might? Why am I not progressing? Why, do I, why, why does the uh, truth in the Bible not quite connect enough to my reality? So we're going to be asking some basic spiritual MOT questions of ourselves this morning to try and work out. What might be the areas that are rubbing? What might be the areas where, with a bit of work, we could loosen it up and see ourselves grow a bit more in God? So my first question is this. What kind of soil are you rooted and grounded in? I'm moving back into that previous verse, verse 17, and it says that Paul is praying, and this is a big prayer that he is praying. Um, and I actually forgot to say, why, why, are we, why are we asking this introspective question? Is it important or should we just carry on uh, with uh, ourselves as usual? Should we really be thinking about this introspectively? And I think we should because of the way Paul prays. We've been preaching recently through this prayer of Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. And he gets to the end of the prayer In this part that we're looking at today, right at the end, he ultimately comes to his conclusion and prays that all Christians, bog-standard Christians in Ephesus and bog-standard Christians in Westminster Chapel, all of us would be filled with all the fullness of God. Now that is a remarkable expectation for people to experience in this life. Sometimes we kind of think that stuff will come later after I die in eternity. But I can't really expect that of me now. But Paul expected that of everyday Christians, that they would truly be filled with all the fullness of God. And where that starts is this phrase that you being rooted and grounded in love. Da, 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 da. So I'm asking, what kind of soil are you rooted and grounded in? I think Paul is assuming that all of us are rooted and grounded in some kind of soil, but it's not necessarily the kind of soil that will be good for our growth. So what kind of soil are you in? I think sometimes we can find ourselves in soil that just lacks nutrients, a bit like those fake plants that look convincing from a distance but never seem to grow, and that's because they're not alive. They are lacking nutrition. They're lacking genuine goodness. And... Sometimes, and I I don't know if you've felt this during lockdowns and stuff like that, it's very easy to live a nutrient-free life where most of our conversations with people are superficial, they're slightly empty, meaningless. The input that we're getting into our lives really isn't very formative. Our Netflix or uh, TV consumption is purely based on entertainment and just comfort. Our social media streams, we choose exactly what we want to see and then it tells us surprisingly or shows us exactly what we want to see or what we want to hear or what we already think. That is not going to enable you to grow any further because it's, only gonna, it's, it's already got you where you currently are. So are you in that kind of soil that's really lacking that sort of nutritional growth, goodness in the soil that will help you to grow? That kind of soil, nutrient-free soil, I think can actually just be improved. I think we we don't need to dismiss all social media. We don't need to stop watching Netflix. We can just put in some better stuff to balance it out so that we've got a good, healthy soil and we can start to grow. But there is another kind of soil that actually I think you need to get out of, and this is toxic soil. Toxic soil is truly destructive. The reason I'm raising this one is because if you've... Uh, been watching online or in the news, especially in Christian news recently, there have been some significant, big leaders in the Christian world, relatively close to circles that we're in, who have been exposed and found out to be extremely rotten apples, to have abused women and men and used their power for all sorts of gain. And there's been quite in-depth investigations into these people and what's happened. And what they've found, unsurprisingly, is that those rotten apples don't grow on good trees. Those rotten apples didn't come from nowhere. They grew on relatively damaged and damaging trees that were rooted in toxic soil. What these investigations describe are environments that are full of power struggles, it's full of fear and intimidation, where charisma is more important than character, where people's reputation is elevated above the truth, so the big names will be protected and safeguarded, and the small insignificant people who are raising concerns about what they're seeing are ignored and uh, shut down, where truth and honesty is suppressed in order to just save face. And these environments have harmed many people. And like I said, it's being close to home. You can see it on YouTube, online now at the moment, these investigations and the repercussions of all of this is still happening. And it might even be people that you know. Those kinds of soils you need to get out of completely. And why I'm mentioning this is because sometimes when we think about toxic soil, we might think, out there in the world, you don't want to get involved with all that dodgy stuff out there, but we're safe here. And what these things have found is, no, toxicity and pollution can creep into our soil if we're not careful. And that's why we have to be so willing to be open and honest in our conversations. It's why our safeguarding measures and policies are absolutely vital. And it's where everyone's voices need to be heard. And we need to take this in mind as leadership in this church, but it's also within your life groups and within the uh, groups of friends that you have. What's the culture? What's the environment like? What's the toxicity level? This is why we need to open up our lives and be willing to step into the light and ask others to hold us accountable for the lives that we're living so that the soil doesn't become polluted Because it won't just stop our growth, it will damage us and it will damage others. So, what kind of soil are you in? The soil that Paul wants us to be in is incredible. It's this rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. Now, this soil is full of all kinds of love. Now, there's the love that is just a love that is a consuming love. Now, that's not necessarily negative. The reason I joined this church originally was because I liked the music. I like the preaching, I like the lunches on a Sunday, uh, I like the people. It, was, it, it satisfied me, it was nice, it was good. So that's a good kind of love in certain measures. Then there's a kind of love that's cooperative love, where actually I find people that I like being around and I can kind of work with. We're a good team together, we're on this mission together. There's a fantastic love that makes up the soil uh, in a good church as well. But I think the nutrient that must be here, more than anything, is the kind of love that's not just consuming, it's not cooperative, but actually the kind of love that's creative. This is the kind of love that parents show to a newborn child, that Martin and Shin are showing to Lucas, baby Lucas, at the moment. Like, I don't want to be unfair to baby Lucas, but he hasn't done much to earn the amount of attention he's getting from Martin and Shin. I've done more, I, I reckon. But they're showing him so much love, so much care and dedication, and he is growing up to be a better person because of that kind of love. This unconditional love has to be the absolute most common nutrient in the soil of a good, healthy church, where forgiveness is everywhere, where this feeling of, I haven't done anything to deserve my place here, and yet I am treated like royalty. That's the kind of environment we need in order to grow, in order to grow up into everything that God wants us to be, the most like Jesus. So that's my first question. What kind of soil are you in at the moment? Are there any changes that need to be made? Second question is this. Are you strong enough to handle the love of God? This might sound unusual, but Paul carries on. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be strong enough to grasp. I was tragically never strong enough as a child to grasp onto those monkey bars in a playground. And now I see children, and I really hate them because they can do it so easily. I still can't. Are you strong enough to grasp what God is going to be doing in your life? Paul assumes that the Ephesian Christians aren't yet strong enough for all that God wants to do. So they physically can't handle what God is going to do in their lives. So they need to get stronger. I read about Herbert Nietzsche, um, who is a, the world record holder free diver, where you dive as deep as you can into deep water without any breathing apparatus. Now guess what the world record is. Are you allowed to shout out? I'm sure you are. Guess what the world record is. For free diving. Oh, you've ruined the whole thing. <laughs> Greg, Greg just said 400 meters. That's absolutely ridiculous. The, the world record is 214 meters, which is also pretty remarkable. That's over 10 minutes underwater. Like, how mad is that? But, uh, and, and the thing about Herbert Nietzsche, I'm no expert in freediving. I can do about 30 seconds. But... What I imagine is he didn't do that on his first attempt. He had to build up strength. His lung capacity had to increase. Physically, he had to get strong enough to go down to those depths because otherwise he'd pop under the pressure. So he needs to get himself in that shape. I imagine he did that by regular, small, gradual practices that enabled him to go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. What Paul is inviting you into in this prayer, what he is praying for is that you eventually would be able to dive 214 meters into the love of God, the absolute depths that human beings are capable of. But you're not there yet, but you can be. So what do you do? Well, I think We need to come up with an exercise plan to work out how am I going to get to those depths. Imagine yourself as a 214-meter Christian. What would that look like? An evangelist who's just so natural at sharing the gospel in a way that's winsome and loving to anyone that you meet. Someone who is so hospitable that everyone in your community calls your home their home. Because it's so open and it's so impactful. Someone who gives of themselves so readily to others in serving and helping in different community aspects. Someone who is wise and knows how to make a good decision in various circumstances and how to give good advice to those around them. What is it? What's your 214 meter version of you? Think of it. Dream about that. And then think, okay, how can I get there slightly more? What's the next step that I could take? If I want to become that natural evangelist who talks about Jesus to anyone, well, is there someone that you could speak about Jesus to next week? And how are you going to do that? Start small, start steady, but start with the attitude of growth. And I believe this is the direction God wants to take you in. He wants to get you to that 214 meter experience of Himself. The, the most like Jesus you could possibly be, what steps do you need to take in order to dive a little bit deeper today, tomorrow, this week, next week? So that's your thought process, but how are you going to get there? And I would suggest that you're never going to get there on your own. And this is the difference between you and Herbert Nietzsche. He does it on his own. He dives down on his own. We should not Do this deep dive on our own. We need community. Notice what Paul prays in this prayer. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to grasp, and then he adds brackets, with all the saints. Paul could have just made this about individual Christianity, where it's just you and God, but he knows that the most mature believer is someone who strongly relies on others someone who relies on the prayers of others, someone who relies on the input of others, the advice of others, the wisdom, even the rebuke of others. That is a mature Christian. I think sometimes people fall into the idea that being a mature Christian is someone who can go it alone, who can just follow Jesus by listening to podcasts and watching YouTube and reading books, and that's all you need to be mature. But Paul is making it very clear to reach all the fullness of God, you need other people. So my question is, are you too isolated at the moment? I know we're being forced into physical isolation, but that doesn't mean you need to be in spiritual isolation. There was a great prayer earlier in the prayer meeting just before this service, someone saying, we want to be a prayer of a, a church of all sorts, like licorice all sorts, But the issue is I don't really like most of the licorice, all sorts, so I will just open the packet and take out the few that I like, put them over here, and then leave those ones aside. Are we ever in danger of doing that in the church? This is a church of all sorts, but actually I choose the kinds of people that I hang out with. I choose the community that I spend time with. I select, handpick those that I immediately like, put them over here, and I spend all my time with them. That is not going to help you grow. Because God has designed the community that you need. He has chosen the kinds of people that you need around you. People who are older than you, younger than you. More attractive than you, less attractive. Wiser, stupider. Richer, poorer. Everything. There's the whole array of people. That's how you're going to grow. That is the kind of community you need to be in. With all the saints. Not some of the saints. So will you let God choose the kinds of people who are in your life? That's the next question. Are you too isolated? Do you need to put yourself in an environment where actually you have not chosen these people? I find our life groups are really good for that because our life groups prioritize diversity. And so you will have input from all sorts of people. And alongside that is my next question. Will you allow yourself to be stretched by these people? Paul carries on in his prayer, and I like this. He says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, will have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. And then he goes into the famous Brit. The breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of what? Now, different translations show this differently. And it's most likely that it's the breadth breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. But actually, the phrasing doesn't quite say that. It leaves a blank. It's the breadth and the length, the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ. So there's a chance that Paul also, whilst having the love of Christ in his mind and wanting us to experience the full dimensions of the love of Christ also has in his mind the image that he's previously been describing in his prayer, which is the temple of God. Because there is this prophetic image coming often from Ezekiel and things from the Old Testament of this building that will grow to fill the entire earth. And then Paul brings that into his prayer and says, that is the church. That is human beings following Jesus in all their diversity, but totally unified around Jesus, filling the whole earth. And this temple is growing and growing, bigger, higher, wider, deeper. And it's filling the entire earth with the glory of God. And Paul says, I want you to be strong enough to grasp that. The breadth, the length, the height and the depth of this ever-expanding experience of God, the love of God that is found in his community, the church. And so I guess the question is, are you willing to be stretched in all directions by the people of God? Do you allow others to truly challenge you in your spiritual walk? Do you put yourself in, in places where people can speak into your life in a formative way, not just an informative way? Do you allow others to pull you out of your comfort zone or stretch you in certain areas? I need to be around people. Now, there's some, and it's fantastic when you hear speakers on a stage who tell fantastic stories of the amazing endeavors of faith that they did 10 years ago. That, to some extent, inspires me to step out of my comfort zone a little bit, but what inspires me far more are people like some of you in the room that I can see now, who I'm closely linked with, who I know took a risk, a step of faith, last week. And it might have gone brilliantly, it might have gone completely wrong, but actually that stretches me out of my comfort zone more than hearing big names on big platforms, because it's people who are regularly trying this stuff and doing the things that I, in my natural self, will become too scared and will shy away from and will protect myself from. I need people in my life to take me out of my comfort zone in that way. I also need people around me who are quite different in the way that they engage with God. The much more prophetic types, the much more moving in the spirit, the much more worshipful types than i am naturally i need to learn from them i need to be around those kinds of people or else i will pigeonhole myself and say no this is just the kind of christian i am this is my personality type i won't go any further than this i need that kind of input in my life and i also try if i can to read and listen to wider things than just the circles we're in. Prioritize where we are. Read the books of people who are close to us to get to know the thinking of this place. But be wider with your reading and listening if you've got time to hear different inputs from various different expressions of Christianity all around the world because that will stretch you in good directions because God is not just doing it with all the saints of Westminster Chapel, but all the saints of Commission, all the saints of the whole global church. Throughout history. So then, moving to my uh, final question. Are you willing to look a little bit silly for Jesus? And this is where Paul uh, does sound a little bit silly, I guess. Maybe I'm being rude. But what he wants you to know, he wants you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So he wants you to know something that is beyond what you can know. So he's asking you to do what seems impossible. To really simplify this down, though, I would say, actually, it's just being able to admit that there is stuff that I don't know, and I'm happy with that, and I'm able to walk in that, and I'm able to go further in that. And this comes home to me, because often when I talk about following Jesus or Christianity, I try to tie everything up in a very neat little bow for people. I try and make it sound like I have grasped the entire thing, make it sound incredibly sensible for them, so that they would believe it. And I only will tell stories of the really good, positive, healing stories that we've had, the great answers to prayer, the fantastic miracles, but I'll often miss out all of the massive questions I've still got, the gaping holes in prayers that aren't yet answered, the areas of Argument that really still agree to me and I'm completely confused by and I really don't know the answers to And I think I like to think that I'm doing this in order to make it all sound more convincing But in reality, I'm doing this because I just want to avoid looking silly to the outside world and looking like I haven't got it all together But what that's going to create is an environment where if people come in and they hear me acting like that or they hear the church acting like that, they're not going to feel like they can ask their questions because it sounds like everyone's got this all together. So I can't ask my new questions. So they're not going to be able to grow because they won't be able to learn new things. So we need to be an environment that's very honest and open about what we do know and what we don't know. And the image that came to mind is that it's possible to say that I have swum the Atlantic, in the Atlantic Ocean without having to have swum the entire breadth and length and height and depth of it. If I've just gone and paddled off the west coast of Ireland or Wales, I have swum in the Atlantic Ocean to some extent. It's a real experience that can be made even more real as I swim more and swim further. And that is what Paul is inviting us into to acknowledge the real experience of the love of God that we have got, whether it's just paddling in the shallows, or whether we've swum out a few meters, whether we've dived down to 10 meters. We've got that. And we can share that with others. And we can enjoy that. But Paul is inviting us to swim even further now, and dive a little bit deeper, and go to some extent that we haven't yet before, not just to become comfortable in this patch of the water that I'm in currently, But actually, there is more to swim into. There is more to experience. And that's what I'm inviting us all. I think that's what Paul's inviting us to experience through this prayer. So how do we do it? How do I become more fulfilled in life? How do I change? How do I become more like Jesus? Well, I think the first thing is turn around into the love of God. This is what repentance is. We don't repent just for the sake of repentance. We repent because there's something better behind us. We turn around because what we're walking towards isn't as good as what we're walking away from. So if we turn into that love, that is where we're going to start to experience more and more of the depths of God. Uh, Now, I can't say it anywhere nearly as well as this film can make it out in a very short clip. So if we could play this sh- clip from uh, Spider-Man, and uh, you will see. Yeah, I know, Dad. You gotta say I love you back. Dad, are you serious? I wanna hear it. You wanna hear it? I me love say. you, Dad. You're dropping me I off I out of love school. I love you, Dad. Look at this place. Dad, I love you. <sighs> Dad, I love you. That's a copy. It's a very good movie, but the idea there really is that that father didn't need to hear those words, I love you. The boy needed to say, I love you. The boy needed to say, I love you, because there is something in expressing a love that actually connects you to an even deeper love. Because there is a certain love that there's a certain amount of fulfillment sorry that comes from loving something that's lovely you could love a pizza you could love a dog you could love a church in its essence just because it's lovely and that's a safe kind of love loving something because it's immediately lovely but there is a, an unsafe kind of love, a far more vulnerable, but a far more transforming kind of love that is loving something, not because it's lovely, but because it loves me. Because it loves me beyond anything else. That father's love to that child, the child only realizes that as he says, I love you, Dad. That's where the experience, the connection comes. And that's what I think Paul is inviting us into in this prayer. So I thought we'll pray and as the band come up, because this is exactly what praise is. This is what singing worship is. It's saying, I love you back. It's connecting to the love of God by expressing our love for God. He doesn't need to hear this. We need to say it, and it glorifies him. So as these guys come up, let's pray together, whether you're here, whether you're at home. Let's really invite the Holy Spirit, who is the the liquid love of God poured out of heaven to minister to us in our hearts that we would experience in a deeper way, that we would dive deeper into the love of God. Father, there is nothing more powerful than turning back to you and seeing the face of Jesus. Your greatest act of love towards all humankind, sending him, your only son, to us. As John Piper puts it, we know the extent of the love of God by how freely you gave him and how freely he gave up his life to save us. He was not obliged. No one took his life from him. You did not need to send him from heaven. It was all of your choice. We see how much you love us in how little we deserve your love. We were still your enemies. We were dead in sin. We were cursing. We put you on that cross. We were so unworthy of this love. And then we see how much you love us and how much it cost you. It wasn't simply dealing out good advice. It wasn't saying important, sensational words. It was far beyond anything that we can comprehend. The love of God seen in Jesus, dying on the cross for all mankind, taking the full wrath of God against sin, defeating everything, as Howard prayed earlier, you loved us to death, we praise you for that Lord, and we see how much you love us by how much you bless us in Christ, with all spiritual blessings to the absolute uttermost, we experience your love, so Lord, wherever We've been walking in the opposite direction, refusing to experience your love in greater measure. Forgive us and help us to turn and summon up the words of praise to say back to you, I love you, Dad. Amen.